Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the 12th installment in our M. Night Shyamalan movie review series. Today we are reviewing Split. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. I gotta say, I'm excited for this film because the previous film we reviewed of his, The Visit, really exceeded my expectations i would say especially considering his previous films before that really eh, they didn't hit the mark for me but all of those reviews we have reviewed all of his films up to this point listeners so if you're new joining us for the first time then definitely go ahead and check out our previous M. Night Shyamalan reviews. The link is in the description below. While you're in the link in the description below, you'll also notice our Patreon page, our YouTube page, Facebook, Twitter, all kinds of great links for you to easily navigate and uh, find some more great content. And just uh, search around over here, especially on Podbean. Everything is laid out like an official website, whereas if you're on iTunes, that's great. Podbean will really help you find all of that content as well, especially on the website. But back to Shyamalan Split, uh, it came out in January, I noticed. I, I didn't see it in the theater, and I don't believe you did either. No, I didn't. Uh, let's see, 2016, where was I? 20? I know it was definitely in college during 2016, so yeah. No, I never did catch this in the theater, but I heard a lot of good things when it was playing, and... I caught it afterwards after it uh, was released on home video, but I remember hearing a lot of really good things back when it was first released, which is surprising being released in January because typically that's considered to be the garbage month, the uh, Hollywood garbage dump uh, for the year. Yeah, usually that's considered, as Alan just said, not very good territory, but I mean, it's not too surprising Shyamalan would be getting a film placed here. The visit was in the fall later towards the end of the year, which I thought was much more appropriate. But as we'll talk about here with the box office earnings, it it wasn't a bad idea. No, it really wasn't. Uh, so the box office earnings are surprisingly really good with a budget of $5 million to $9 million, depending on where you look. Uh, had an opening weekend of about $40 million, which is really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, domestically, it grossed $138.1 million in total, foreign $140.9 million. And with a worldwide total of about 279 million, which is really good. I know last week we just we said that the visit did pretty good with his box office earnings, but this one is kind of the same thing. I think it actually even made more uh, than last week. Uh, we even with this kind of a budget, this is really good money. Yeah, I did check, and this made a lot more money than the last film. The budget was c- close, like possibly slightly higher this time, but still, this is a very low budget. Right movie for nine million dollars, especially for for what we get, and yeah, the, it really did incredible numbers. And a Shyamalan film really hasn't been this profitable in a very very long time. Oh yeah, yeah. And now the movies may have made close to this kind of money, but judging by how much budget they had, especially with Last Airbender and After Earth, it's a different story because those had very big budgets. 
And although they made around this amount back worldwide, it didn't exactly constitute the movie still being a complete success. It was still, those two were still considered flops because of how much they raked in domestically and how much they were still behind when it comes to domestic versus how much budget they had. So this time around, once again, just like the visit, but even more so, uh, the budget, the, the money they made from the budget, or the money, the money that they made in the box office is a great success. And it, it was also not too hard going up against Triple X3, The Return of Xander yeah. Cage. I will say I was excited to know Vin Diesel was back for that movie because I did like the first one. I never saw the second one, but I did watch it on on home streaming and it's bad. It is so bad. So don't watch that movie. But the other films in the top five uh, had been out for quite a while. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Return of Xander Cage, Triple X was on its first week. But the other three films, this movie also came out number one. It was number one for three weeks, Ooh, which is surprising wow. <laughs> because the last few films we've looked at have not been number one and have come in at number three or in last week's case, number two, and have just tanked after their first week. But luckily, this was number one for the first three weeks. And the other few films were that would that went up against was XXX. Uh, Hidden Figures, Sing, and La La Land for its first week, which I've all been in the box or I've all been in theaters for like at least five weeks, if not more. But there isn't much competition opening uh, on the opening in January for at least his first week. Now, the next week, it still had a little bit of competition with a few new titles with Dog's Purpose and Resident Evil, the final chapter. But it still retained that number one spot, even when after the next week, in week three, when Rings came out, it wasn't until week four when it dropped down to number four after Lego Batman and Fifty Shades Darker and John Wick Two were releasing for their first their first week. That's when it dropped down to number four, but still a very good theatrical run, especially in these first few weeks. But correct me if I'm wrong. James Newton Howard did not come back to compose this film. That is correct. James Newton Howard did not come back. Um West Dylan Thordson is his name. He was the composer this time. I'm guessing James Newton Howard was probably busy. He had scored Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and he was likely working on Roman J. Israel Esquire, probably Detroit, and of course the Netflix show, A Series of Unfortunate Events. So he had his hands plenty full doing other things, and it's kind of sad he's not back to score this film and some of the score in this film is taken from Unbreakable score, yes. which he did. Yes. It might also, too, be a money thing. Uh, they just couldn't pay him enough because he is a pretty well-known director, well-known director, well-known composer. So yeah. my guess is adding on to him being busy with other things, um, he might, it might also just be a money thing because this budget on this movie is only $5 million or $9 million, depending on where you look. Uh, but it still isn't enough. I wouldn't think it'd be enough to hire on James Dune Howard, even though he has done Shaman in the past. I wonder if it was that's also part of it. It's just a money thing. So the IMDb score is a well above average 7.3. Which is very surprising uh, considering mm -hmm. what we've had. Well, and it's a major leap up from the previous was his previous film was a 6.2. Right. Which Considering where we came from isn't necessarily bad, but it's still not great compared to what John has, Sean has done and showed what he can do before. 
Yeah, and you will be pleased to hear, listeners, this film is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with a 77% critic approval rating and a 79% audience approval rating, which is definitely up from last time, which was 67% and 51%. Now, Metascore, it just barely made it into the green light, uh, generally favorable reviews, 62 on Metacritic, up from 55 and a B plus on cinema score really getting back closer to that a as compared to a B minus. So a definite step up as far as uh, critics and just regular audience goer scores are. I'm, I'm very impressed with that. Yeah. And even the letterbox score says 3.5, which is above average. So yeah, this seems like all across the board, uh, unanimously almost, the audience score and the critic score are well above average. Now, they're not astronomically great, but they're well above average. And it seems to be, we kind of mentioned this last week, that we're kind of moving out of this, I guess, valley of the worst of Shaolin. And we've kind of beginning to move out of that. And it seems, at least with these last two movies, that we've been making some pretty good headway. And they've been relatively decent in terms of quality compared to what we've been through before. Oh, yeah. Critically, this is his second highest uh, critically acclaimed film after The Sixth Sense. So, uh, yeah, you're right. We are out of the valley now of the shadow of the Shyamalan death, <laughs> what I call it. Yes. Now, the first time we saw this movie, we actually did see it together. And we had not seen um, much of his other previous work, I would say, at least in my case, uh, I had, I don't even remember what all I had seen, uh, very few films of his, but we did watch it February 2018, so about a year after it had come out, and right. then we did watch it earlier this year in May. That's right, uh, together yeah. Together with some friends. That's right. I do remember at the time that we watched this movie, I believe I had already seen The Visit, um, and of course, I've already I'd already seen The Happening, so and The Sixth Sense. So I had at least had a few Shyamalan movies under my belt, getting coming into this movie for the first time. Um, but yes, you are correct. That was the first time I think yeah, the first time that we, you and I, at least had watched it together. And then again, surprisingly, and I know that I ended up watching I think one more time after that. I want to say um, I don't actually remember. It may have been just me, like hopping in and out from wherever it was showing. I don't think I don't think I've seen it four times, but it, it's possible I have. Is there any uh, trivia you have? There is a little bit. Um, I the, the idea for this movie was conceived when he was, uh, I believe when he was writing or had just finished Unbreakable. And so the idea was there back in the early days and he kind of came back and forth to it or he went back and forth with it and didn't ever didn't ever really have a full script, but had like ideas and had like scenes written out but never really had like a full-fledged story ready to go um, until I think it was until after the visit that he said, well, why don't I make this a movie? So then he did. Um, other than that, Joaquin Phoenix was originally going to be cast instead of James McAvoy, which would have been very interesting, um, <laughs> but that it ended up falling through. So we got James McAvoy instead. Um, so other than that, there's one more here, but that's a spoiler. Um, so we'll get into that. I'll talk about that later. Um, but other than that, yeah, there wasn't much background info, tidbits, trivia, things like that here that I found to be super interesting. 
Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Split and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film. Come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. Split opens at a birthday party where our main character, Casey Cook, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, who was kind of invited to go with from one of the girls in her class named Claire, played by Haley Lou Richardson. Uh, when Casey's uncle fails to pick her up, she hitches a ride with Claire and her best friend, Marcia, uh, played by Jessica Sula. However, a man approaches the car and kidnaps the three girls. It is revealed that the man who has kidnapped them has multiple personalities. The girls meet Dennis first and later Patricia and Hedwig. The man's psychologist, Dr. Fletcher, played by Betty Buckley, who came back from the happening, uh, believes that her patient's disorder and others with the same disorder have become more human. The girls discover a hole under the under the ceiling drywall, allowing Claire to attempt an escape. She is caught, however, by the dentist personality and is locked away from the other girls, and her sweater is removed. Casey and Marcia are brought out to eat with a Patricia personality, but Marcia de decides to try to escape and is therefore, I guess, kind of punished, but at the same time, some other things happen, uh, but she essentially loses her skirt. Dennis reveals to Casey the reason why they are here. They will eventually become a sacrifice to the Beast, a developing personality inside the mind of Kevin. As meetings come and go with Kevin, Dr. Fletcher suspects that he is hiding something and that one of the other personalities is emulating Barry, the personality who typically meets with Dr. Fletcher. Doc decides to check in on her patient at his workplace. It is revealed to us that Casey had a traumatic past of her own. When she was a young girl, her, her uncle sexually abused her, and it is insinuated that this continued for many years when Casey's uncle became her legal guardian after her father passed away. Connecting Casey with Kevin, Kevin was also emotionally and physically abused by his mother when he was younger. The Beast's personality is finally developed and takes control of Kevin and kills Dr. Flesher, Marsha, and Claire. Casey is able to escape but is cornered by the Beast. Casey says... Kevin Wendell Crumb, which forces Kevin to come forward, allowing some more time for Casey to escape before the Beast takes control again. Casey is chased down a long hallway and is almost killed by the Beast, uh, but the Beast sees the scars from her abuse and realizes she's one of us. He walks away, and later that morning, a worker finds Casey and brings her out of the employee-only mechanical area of the, of the Philadelphia Zoo. The other girls have been stuck under the whole time. A police officer tells Casey that her guardian is here to take her home. Later on in a restaurant, we get a surprise cameo from Bruce Willis, David Dunn, from Unbreakable, connecting Split and Unbreakable as the credits roll. And I think that's the big draw for everybody here is finding out that Shyamalan is right. making his very first sequel, or has made, I should say, his very first sequel to any film uh, that he's done. And, then, and in fact, that's the big Shyamalan twist is that this is in fact a sequel to Unbreakable. And it kind right, of right. didn't mean anything to me at the time. I don't know if it meant anything to you, but I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, Bruce Willis, what's he doing in here? And then I'm like, wait a minute, does this have something to do with that uh, one uh, Bruce Willis Shyamalan movie? Turns out, yes, it, it in fact does. Right. And going into this movie, I kind of heard about the twist, but I didn't know if that was like somebody just making a joke or if it was like actually real. And so when we did see that scene at the end, I was like, okay, so it was real the whole time. Uh, this movie does in fact connect to Unbreakable. So there actually is a little bit of trivia here. Uh, come to find out the character of Kevin Wendell Crumb was actually going to be, or was at one point in Unbreakable. He was taken out because there was some balancing issues with that movie and trying to add in 
Kevin's character. Um, but there were still scenes, entire scenes written out for Kevin, for Kevin. So uh, over the years, after pulling him out of Unbreakable, he, he being Shyamalan, spent a while kind of messing with everyone. So I need to come back to it, write some things down, and then will that sit for a while. And so eventually after he made the visit, he said, all right, I'm going to try and actually finishes and actually was able to finish split and got a agreement with Walt Disney to use the character of David Dunn. Now, at the time, he didn't actually know if this would be uh, the makings of a trilogy with Unbreakable, Split, and then what would later become Glass. At the time, he did not know that but there was no confirmation that Glass was actually going to be a thing and that would actually happen. Now, it, of course, we know now that it did, it, in fact, happen. Uh, he, Shyamalan and... Walt Disney came to an agreement for a split to have David Dunn in it at the end. And then later, Walt Disney did, did come on board with Universal to help uh, at least give them the rights to use the character of David Dunn. And that, of course, led them to make the sequel to Split and the sequel to Unbreakable, also known as Glass. Oh, that will be interesting to see because I think this really does make for a very tantalizing ending for most yeah. audience members who not even those who really have uh no unbreakable that well those especially who know unbreakable will be very excited but those who don't i would still say by the end of this movie i'm very intrigued to see where this film is going to go especially because that big reveal of the beast actually being real and then we know that's actually very feasible because of david dunn literally being unbreakable like this kind of unbreakable superhero they're Clearly has to be some other bad guy as well. Right. But uh, one of the things that came to mind, especially while you were reading your plot summary, is the usage of flashbacks in this movie and how that tells the how that helps us focus in on characters. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people could find um, disappointing is we don't get a lot of flashbacks with. Um, James McKay voice character, if I'm not mistaken, really only get one. And we just get these breadcrumbs, which maybe that's what he wanted, naming him Crumb, um, into his past and how he's kind of come to be who he is. But we do get, I would say, sufficient flashbacks into Casey's character, um, which brings to mind who really is the central character of the story and, and which one's like truly important. Right. Yeah, it's, and these flashbacks seem to come at very appropriate times, too. Uh, we kind of, they kind of tell the story as to the events leading up to the big thing that happens with the uncle, and then a couple of events that happen afterwards that kind of lead us from where she came from and where exactly she's at currently. Um, and then with James McAvoy's character, yeah, we really, we, I think we only actually have the one, if I'm not mistaken. Now it's brought up here and there from the uh, psychologist, Dr. Fletcher, um, but we never really get like the flashback until I think pretty close to the end when we actually have something where it shows the, it shows uh, Kevin's mother essentially being very angry toward her son um, toward something small that he did with a hanger. So that also connects our two, the, our two characters here with Kevin and uh, our main character played by Anya Taylor uh, joy, because they're both very broken characters. They've both have had traumatic experiences in their past. And that's the thing that connects the two of them together in this film is those traumatic experiences. And that kind of also leads into 
part of the big idea of the movie being uh, what what Dr. Fletcher believes. Um, that's what connects everything here together with these three characters. I call that like the trio more or less because everything kind of revolves around these three characters. Yeah, I do love how that connection between them is summed up when the beast, when his personality is trying to rip through the bars and then he notices she has all of those scars on her. And he says something along the lines of, uh, you're one of the broken and uh, maybe you remember this a little better than me, Alan. But he was saying how, uh, what does he say? Something like the broken are more uh, pure or the broken are more evolved. Is, is am I correct with that? Um, so yeah, he essentially says rejoice for you are one of the broken. Um, he says, yeah, something to the effect of how the broken in this context are uh, better than anybody else. He, so yeah. James McAvoy's character's goal in this movie is to essentially show the world um, that those who are broken, more or less, are more human. It's very similar to Dr. Fletcher's uh, worldview, or at least her mission in this movie, is to show the world that those, especially those with uh, dissociative identity disorder, are more or less more human because they've unlocked some potential to them than anybody else, even though it is rather rare. Um, so that's why he leaves her alone in the end, is because he notices that she is one. She is essentially in the same kind of boat that he is in, and that's what that's where he leaves her alone. Whereas with the other two girls, they are they're as he calls pure. It's the impure that he believes are the ones who have the greatest potential. Yeah, I find I find that to be very fascinating and a fascinating exploration that's not really brought to our minds until that very ending sequence when. She's presumably about to die and then he decides to spare her as well. And I don't, I think it goes a little deeper than he just feels some kind of sympathy for her because she came from clearly some very disturbing past as well. But I think it goes beyond that. And, and I think there sets up a dichotomy here between, um, James McAvoy's character who is seemingly going to give into evil and a psychiatrist is continually saying, don't give into evil. Whereas on the opposite end, we have Casey's character who has gone through some very devastating circumstances, yet she never gives up. And she is the one that is going to survive and push through. And I think it's getting to that bit of hope where it's kind of like you've been really, um, You've been tried by fire in, in like a way that maybe wasn't of your own doing and you are going to prevail. So I think it's also going to set that up for the third movie. And spoiler alert, I've seen the third movie, so I know I know what what's going on <laughs> there, but I won't bring that into this discussion here. Right. But it's setting that up of not giving up and um, kind of pursuing to go on and overcome, I would right. say. So one of the things I noticed on this viewing especially is more or less the message of the movie, and especially when it relating to our main character, if in the event that something happens in your past like it does with this main character, it's better to say something than to not. Essentially, uh, James McAvoy's character is, I consider to be more of a warning sign to our main lead, where if she goes long enough without presenting this kind of traumatic experience to experience to somebody and telling somebody about what's going on, then she might in some way end up, uh, end up like how James McAvoy does like in this movie, how he's, we find out that he has after so many years 
and so many traumatic experiences with his mother, he's developed these personalities as a defense mechanism. So what this movie is essentially saying, or at least what this movie is exploring is saying, if this is an experience, if you've experienced something like this, mostly with the main character or any kind of traumatic experience like this, it's better to talk about it than to just leave it alone and try and trudge through it because it might not, it's just going to keep festering within you until uh, something, even, until it just continues to get worse. And so at the end, really, our main character is given a choice when the police officer says, your guardian is here, and she just kind of looks at her. She's given a choice. Is she going to go back home with her guardian, which we know is her abusive uncle, or is she going to say something and maybe even get the uncle put behind bars? Is that's the that's the main question there towards the end. And the main statement of the movie is, are you going to say something about this and hopefully make your way to start fixing it and helping yourself? Or are you going to let it fester and let it get worse? Yeah, absolutely. And I like how Shyamalan takes us through that plot line, letting us see how both of those paths. Well, we we absolutely see how that path plays out through James McAvoy's character, but then it does absolutely bring up the question: Will Casey follow in this path as well and create some very unhealthy defense mechanisms of her own? And never is James McAvoy's defense mechanisms portrayed in any kind of positive way or anything like that. And so it does bring up that question: Will Casey? fall into this utter defeatism or will she choose to do something that James McAvoy's character seemingly never chose to do and, and just kind of went down that rabbit trail. Right. So I like that Shyamalan is bringing up a smart story that is at least engaging us intellectually and really making us invest in these characters. And so I guess that brings us to the very beginning of the film is he doesn't waste waste any time us getting into the plot of this, but I will say he writes it very realistically of how these girls are now teenagers and they're probably friends when they were young and they've grown apart. And um, there's two girls that are very similar and one girl that's very different and how do they have to group together. And just automatically, um, just the whole premise of the film is very uncomfortable um, talking about... Uh, a very strong and scary man domineering these women. Right. And then we come to learn that that's been Casey's entire past as she's been um, sexually molested by her uncle, which is really horrible. And I know when we first saw the movie, those flashbacks really got under our oh, skin. Yeah. There's the one, especially when the uncle says, Hey, let's play a game. That's the one I just always mm -hmm. remember when I see that, when I saw this movie and we've always, mm -hmm. we talked about in the past, how Shyamalan, whenever he does, a movie that ended up being rated PG-13, how he kind of likes to push that rating as far as it can go. I think so far, uh, as far as I've been able to tell, and as far as I can see, this might be the one that pushes it probably the most. We get a lot of insinuations in this movie where you it leads you to a certain uh, thought. Like, you know, we know the fact that the uncle does something to uh, our young main character, but of course it never shows it. But we know that something happened. There's a lot of insinuations here, and we can put the pieces together as to what exactly happened. And it really pushes that PG-13 rating. This is probably the most I've seen uh, from Shyamalan. I've seen this is probably the most pushing I've ever seen him do, and within the context of a PG-13. 
Yeah, in many ways, this is in some ways a return to the sixth sense, which yeah. definitely dealt with those very heavy adult subjects. But this one probably goes farther than that because it does deal with that kind of child predators type stuff uh, that does right. get very uncomfortable. But I would say that he handles it in, I would probably say, an appropriate way and in a way that really makes us root for Casey and kind of brings up some of those topics uh, that are very uncomfortable for most people to talk about. And right. uh, once again, Shyamalan brings, uh, this is an older kid in every Shyamalan film. Usually it always deals with children somehow. This is a young teenage girl and how they relate to adults and kind of that how how does that relation work or where's the breakdown found within there? This one just so happens to be uh, a crazy person <laughs> that they are having to deal with. But right. uh, the one thing that I really, probably my favorite thing about this movie is James McAvoy's performance, I think is just incredible. And I really think, I honestly really think he should have received an Oscar nomination for how well he was able to balance everything and really change it up and make me believe he was different people. Oh yeah, yeah. I, this is the one thing I heard probably the most about whenever people were decided to talk about Split is James uh, McAvoy's performance. I don't think I've heard more compliments and more people talking about his, his performance than anything else in this movie. This is one of the things I think that ended up becoming kind of a, a selling point more or less is seeing James McAvoy switch between so many different personas and so many different characters. And it gets more rapid and more, they, he switches more often towards the end. And there's a, a couple of scenes where he just flips back and forth on a dime between all these different personalities uh, right in front of us. And it's really, it's really cool to see how a character or how an actor can just switch so fast to something completely different. Now, the there's a lot of personalities here that don't really get much time on the screen and we really only see them here at the end, but there are a few, there's a collection of personalities that mo that do get a lot of time. Patricia, Dennis, Hedwig are the main three uh, and some of Barry too. So while we only really focus on about four of the personalities, it is really cool to see uh, James McAvoy switch between these uh, so frequently, especially there towards the end, and how almost uh, seamless it is, too. I will say that also another strong performance in the film, aside from Anya Taylor-Joy, who I, I think we, we both think she does very well in this film. Yes. Yeah. I would also say his psychiatrist... I found to be a very interesting character that I cared about uh, how she wanted to really see um, James McAvoy's character overcome his demons. And I was really rooting for her. And something I, I like that Shyamalan does is that he's not afraid to pull punches. It, well, no, he does. I'm trying to say he doesn't pull punches in this movie and he does a lot of like subverting our expectations especially yes. when he does kill her in the end of the movie right yeah it's her performance which is uh, in my mind uh much better than what it is in the uh the happening oh yeah because yeah. betty buckley does return uh, betty buckley did uh the crazy old lady in the house for <laughs> the happening which was a, just a great scene overall <laughs> um no yeah she does do a very very good job here and does does convincingly 
portray that she is a psychiatrist. Now, I'll get into the, I guess, execution and, um, uh, yeah, execution of its psychological aspects a little bit later, but I think she does do a very good job in this movie overall uh, as kind of a very caring person who wants to help our main our main villain here, who wants to help Kevin. Uh, she's fully aware that he has 23 um, personalities and she sees right through him when one of those personalities is taking on another one. Um, it's interesting to see uh, her role in this movie along with James McAvoy and our main lead tie in to all of those three, even though the psychiatrist and our main lead, I don't think they ever really meet in this movie at all. It's just, it's just James McAvoy talking with her. And I think our sub our expectations are further subverted when she ends up dead and Casey does not end up dead because right. they are two women who are trying to help James McAvoy's character, but in different ways. And one is one is very much more like kind of willing to be the sacrificial lamb. And the other one is like more so about survival, but nevertheless, it's just uh, turns it on its head when you think that because because we know James McAvoy cares for his psychiatrist so much, but he ends up killing her. Whereas once he sees Casey's scars, he relates to her seemingly on a deeper level than he ever could have with his psychiatrist and right. then decides to spare her. So I, I really found that fascinating. The other thing that I think Shyamalan does so well with this is in the first act, he lays out all of the things that he is going to talk about and and show us for the rest of the movie. And he immediately begins that suspense. He gets that ball rolling. And I would say he does deliver by the third act. So what I'm trying to say is the suspense is great in this movie. Yes, there are a lot of things in this movie that remind me of Tin Cloverfield Lane. Actually, I think oh, yeah. it came out around the same time, yeah, too. Yeah, good comparison. Uh, yeah. I think Cloverfield Lane came out before this, but yeah, not too yeah. far off. Yeah, I know that Cloverfield Lane was a little bit before, because I know it came out in 2016, I think. Yeah, um, sounds right. Yeah. But yeah, there are, I can couldn't help but make comparisons between the two. Now, I don't think that this movie is copying necessarily, but no. they do have similar kinds of tone. Although this one is a much heavier movie because Whoa. of what it deals with than Tidden Cloverfield Lane, um, mostly because of our main character. Yep. But yes, this movie does do a very good job at keeping the suspense there and keeping the movie in heightened tension. And um, there, I would also like to attribute that to um, not just how it, not just his tone or score, but also its cinematography. This movie looks mm -hmm. really, really good, especially compared to the last few films that we've had. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Cinematography is great. I will say probably from a cinematography or maybe even like a production design standpoint, I would probably say The Sixth Sense is a little better than mm -hmm. this one, but this one has... Uh, Great cinematography as well. Very claustrophobic in this underground yes. labyrinthian setting, which gave me vibes of Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Or, and I think Shyamalan captures that crazy underground <laughs> serial killer uh, vibe very well, where you see a lot of times in these films, serial killers always got this big underground thing going on somehow. 
And right. uh, I, I do love how he keeps us in the dark where they, where these girls are at this whole time. And so in some ways we are on the inside with them, but in most ways we are just as confused as they are as to where they are and to how to get out. And you did mention this film is very heavy. And I would say, I think he did a great job with making it heavy. And I'm glad he didn't, uh, didn't water it down in any way at all. And yeah, right. the girls do die at the end because that's probably more realistic than all three of them escaping. And uh, people do go through these traumatic experiences in their past and in their life. But definitely that heaviness and also those scenes are very uncomfortable to watch with when he makes like that one girl take off her skirt mm -hmm. and she has to be in her underwear. Uh, he does a good job of making the viewer feel uncomfortable, which is exactly how he wants us to feel. But I will say that heaviness does make this film hard to rewatch for me. Yes, no, I'm with you on that one too. Although uh, there are definitely heavier movies out there, oh, considering sure. that this is still a PG-13, uh, yeah. it is surprising that it was able to retain that rating and still deal with a lot of these subjects uh, more so. It, it's it's still kind of surprising to me how this movie got a PG-13 um, and how it didn't get closer to an R. I'm sure it was close, but uh, it didn't pass it, so... Oh yeah, it's it's borderline R. In my mind, this very much is an R-rated film, not just mm -hmm. because of its subject matter, but because of you we see some kind of grisly images there at the end and but yeah, mostly for its subject matter, it's, yes. it's our rating territory, but yeah, it's it's a PG-13, so I guess a 13-year-old can watch it even though I don't think I would let my 13-year-old yeah. watch this film. Yeah. So one of the things I mentioned earlier um, with the psychiatrist is this movie's angle on its psych psychological angle, more specifically towards its dissociative identity disorder. And I wanted to bring this up because, well, for one, I'm a psychology minor, and so this is already kind of interesting to me. And for two, it's a pretty big aspect of the movie dealing with not just tra not just trauma, but also again, dissociative identity disorder, which is essentially uh, what is more popularly called uh, multiple personality disorder. Um, now, it's kind of hard to say if dissociative identity disorder is a real thing. Uh, I say this because there isn't enough testing to verify if it's something that is maybe a thing or not. We don't really know. But this movie... And this is confusing to me too. This movie, psych the psychiatrist in the movie, uh, seems to insinuate that she believes it's absolutely true and is trying to do all that she can to bring to light those who have this disorder, which is already really rare, um, and say that these these people who are diagnosed with DID are more human and have unlocked their full potential than anybody else who doesn't have this disorder. It's a very strange thing for her to say because, again, there isn't enough evidence out there to say whether it is or is not our thing. We don't know that quite yet. So I think it's very interesting for a movie like this that's very heavy on its psychology to almost as if it's already decided that this is a real thing, go along with it, and kind of fall into more of a Hollywood cliche of, multiple personalities with the villain um then taking a more realistic angle whereas everything else in the movie seems to be relatively realistic i only took a 
high school course in psychology and we did watch some kind of video about people that did have multiple personality disorder which i learned is different from schizophrenia both right. very different things but yeah her approach on it was kind of talking about how the human body is or the human mind per se is capable of when it does have this like really drastic split it can take on different uh bodily functions than the normal persona would have that's why we know one of his personalities does have diabetes whereas right. in real life well his his mainline personality doesn't have that so i don't know how true to life some of this stuff is it seems a bit fantastical but i at least applaud Shyamalan for trying to keep this grounded which is something he did with unbreakable as well which he tried to take this down-to-earth approach to superheroes and so he seems to be taking as much as he can more of a clinical look at a super villain at least that's right. what i took away from it Right, yeah, and he and he is. I can see that he is trying to do, essentially, trying to emulate what he did with Unbreakable, but this time with a villain. And in some ways, he does do a very good job of that, uh, mostly with how it handles the main character. Um, but I would say my issue comes with how it presents psychology and its psychological uh, as, uh, psychological angle. I think is handled. Uh, I don't think it's handled very well. I think it's rather weak, mostly because. Um, they don't really dive too deep into any of the, of the topics that they get into. And maybe that's just because they don't do that uh, because they're trying to appeal to a broader audience and they're trying not to go back to school more or less about certain about these certain things. That's fine. Um, I guess I just take issue with the fact that uh, it's presenting a psychological topic that is already controversial and saying this is fact. Um, or at least has a character who believe who a character who is in fact a psychiatrist or psychologist who has gotten a degree in this field, but is believing that this is a thing that is real and that is fact. When in reality, that's kind of dangerous to believe that kind of thing when you believe that something is absolutely this way in psychology, because that's just not how it works. Saying that something is absolutely this way is wrong because we don't want to generalize and say everyone is this way. It's very much a field where some, although they find evidence for something to happen, it may not happen all the time. But I think that's probably the tug of war Shyamalan is trying to set up with the viewer is she takes such a believable stance on it and such a hard line like this is actually true. I want you all to believe me, but then it's really hard for us to believe her. And even she kind of has this uh, incredulousness as to the beast, this 24th personality that will be superhuman. And she so far is like, there has to be limitations to what a man can do. And I think that tag of war is probably set up at the right time during the movie. Uh, because you're right. She seems to like, she seems to give her sales pitch to us, the viewers to totally buy into it. But at least I'm still skeptical whether it's actually true. Right. Yeah, it's it's very much a thing. I mean, it, it and this is, I think, my main criticism of this movie, although it is very much a return to form of as to what Shyamalan has done before with all his more successful and more clear, critically acclaimed movies. Um, I think part of the issue that comes up here is that he still is following into what I would consider the Hollywood cliche 
um, and this is probably the biggest example of this is this the is mostly the villain here. Yeah, how his disorder is the thing that is mostly the cliche that we see all the time. A lot of horror movies have this. Um, where there's there where the main character or the villain has multiple personalities tied to him. Um, I would like to, I would have liked I guess for Shaman to take that idea and go farther with it into a realm um, that I guess meant a lot more. Now we don't I don't think we've ever, ever seen a movie where there are twenty three personalities. Usually it's just one or two. Um, but that's again we're kind of falling into more of. Uh, the cliche parts of Hollywood than we are more original works like we've seen before. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think the whole 23 personalities is just also him trying to build this up into a more fantastical supernatural movie while still trying to maintain realism of right. all of it. So I don't totally fault him for that. And I will say he's come very, very far as far as cliches go um if you want cliches and just utter garbage then i would say that that's in the happening and yes. <laughs> it's just really interesting to me how Shyamalan has one has come he in his very first few films he was able to create compelling characters in a well-paced story that always had a unique twist at the end that made us re-examine the film Somehow he he remembered how to do this. I don't know if he had a split personality <laughs> that came back into existence and remembered how to craft a well-told story, the very least. But he has made great strides since his previous films. And I don't know how you feel, but I th I think this film is well-paced. Yes, it is a very well-paced film. And in especially from what we've seen before, a much better edited movie than we've had in many movies past. This movie does flow very, very well. It's almost two hours, which is surprising because most Shyamalan movies aren't really far beyond the hour and a half mark. So he does do a very good job at making the movie feel like it's on a constant and reasonable pace uh, for almost two hours, which is surprising. Did you have any other disappointments or complaints? Yeah. Okay. Um, the two main girls, uh, not the two main girls, but the two other girls that are also kidnapped. One's played by Haley Lou Richardson named Claire. And the other one is uh, played by, I forget her name, Jessica Sula, also known as Mar Marsha. Um, luckily, they don't spend a lot of time on these two characters, but I found them to be rather annoying in the opening. Um, mostly because the acting from them wasn't really all that great. And maybe that's just due to the dialogue that they had. Um, it's unfortunate for me for a movie that's already as good as it is so far to have these two characters kind of, especially in the opening, they're mostly in the opening, uh, about half an hour or so where they're on screen and their acting once again is not really all that great. It's kind of a drawback for me. I really wasn't a fan of them. Yeah, I guess I didn't have too much of a problem with them because they're not really the main focus and they're clearly not given as much prominence as uh, Casey's Casey, the character. Um, I think they did a decent enough job as portraying like typical teenage girls. I think the problem that most films run into is having characters exhibit like pure fear um, yeah. because a lot of times 
well, no, I, I would, I should say all of the time, they're not in a really fearful situation. They're simply just actors. So how do you really convey that sheer terror? I, I think most actors can't or don't do the best job at that. And they're, they're pretty young. So yeah, I'd say Anya Taylor Joy is probably a more higher caliber, um, actress when it comes to conveying that. But I, I didn't think too much of them. Yeah, I know I've seen Haley Lou Richardson in a couple other movies, most namely uh, Edge of Seventeen. I know she's in that one. Okay, she's a, I think, a much better job there than here. But then again, she also has a much more defined character in that movie than she does here. Uh, speaking of characters, that kind of leads into my next probably main criticism. Uh, while the characters, namely uh, James McAvoy and Anya Taylor Joy. Those two characters, uh, while they do have very defined characters, I don't think that they're really anything all that deep. And I think the reason why that the reason why I don't feel as if they're really all that deep is because this movie tries to balance between most between the villain and the here the villain and the or the antagonist and protagonist to a point where it's hard for the movie to dive and figure out. I guess what really makes that character stand out and makes them a unique and well-rounded person um, instead of showing this is what happened to them in the past, right? So with uh, with the character of Kevin, we never really find out, we're never really are given a lot of time to spend time with the main character, the main personality of Kevin. We see him briefly, but that's really about it. Whereas with, and I can, I can forgive the villain portions of this being relatively shallow when it comes to character depth. But when it comes to the main character, I never really felt that there was a lot there to give her a lot of layers. Yeah, we do see her backstory. We do see where she came from and the traumatic experiences that she's had in the past. But in terms of how she acts in the present, I feel it's still kind of a mystery. We don't really get a lot of depth with how her character and how she operates in the normal or in today, her day to day life outside of what we're just told. I feel like then we doesn't really balance these two characters out very well and make them feel well-rounded in three-dimensional characters. Hmm. Yeah. I think the film is mostly, like you said, more concerned with the present because there's kind of a ticking clock in this movie that we deal with in the very beginning, knowing that the beast will be coming and they're basically the sacrificial food for it. And so time is running out and like we have mentioned previously, Shyamalan does give us bits and pieces of why these characters are the way that they are, or how does that work in conjunction to what they're what they're doing right now or how they relate to each other. But yeah, you're right. There's really not a lot of time to have those uh, explorations. Not like I would say in the sixth sense, more so where you can tell there are some deep character issues that really burst forth on screen. I don't think he was able to quite achieve that here with this film, with his characters as he did with, uh, I would say at least the sixth sense, probably nothing else. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I think I'm not sure if we could particularly have it both ways, so it seems to me that Shyamalan is much more intent on making this a thriller with very low, like very minimal dramatic elements. Yeah. And I wonder if it's all because of James McAvoy's character in the first place, because 
in the sixth sense, it's essentially we're following Bruce Willis's character throughout the entire movie. He's the main character. And while we do have Haley Joe Osmond's character as uh, still a main player, the film is really about uh, Bruce Willis and his search for redemption, right? That's the, that's the main core idea of the movie in a general sense. This movie is kind of split between villain and protagonist. Um, it's, I think it doesn't do a very good job of balancing these two and how, how deep wants to go with them. Because I think part of it too, is because of James McAvoy's character, 23 personalities is a lot. Now we don't get, once again, we don't get to see really all these characters, uh, for an extensive amount of time. There's really only about four that we focus on, but I think my problem stems from, uh, even the main character, how she, I'm trying to, they were really, so in the sixth sense, where as Bruce Willis is looking for redemption, she also is in some way also looking for that kind of a thing, but is not necessarily something that she finds or knows how to deal with the issue that she has experienced until the very end of the movie. And that's fine. That's totally not a problem at all. It's just my problem is I wish that they had taken more time to develop her character to make her the ending a bit more impactful uh, than what we do end up seeing on screen. Uh, I think that this movie, what this movie is trying to say is fine. It's totally okay. And in some ways, really, really good. I just think that the characters and how they are built and then portrayed, I think, is rather weak compared to what he has done before. And maybe that just, this might just be become uh, more of growing pains from him going into this valley and then coming out of it. It might be something that he'll solve in glass. I guess we'll find out next week. I see it a bit different. I see The Sixth Sense as more about revelation through these characters, and this film is about liberation through these characters, which I think Shyamalan handles both of them very well, but I think he's just taking, at least the way I saw it, he's taking a different approach, whereas we're not really intent on revealing much about these characters. We know that both of these characters have some very deep bondage, and it's more so about how are they going to be liberated from their circumstances. Now, right. I will agree with you. I do wish that we maybe could have gotten a bit more to Casey. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And so that this kind of a thing goes along with uh, the main ideal of both the psychologist and uh, James McAvoy, where they both believe that... Uh, they both believe that those who have experienced some kind of traumatic past or some kind of disorder, whatever has happened to them, that causes them to not be, I guess, what one would, what one would consider to be in the normal. Um, they they believe that they are more than just they are more than human. Now, the psychologists mostly focus on uh, DID, whereas James McAvoy's character is kind of seems to be kind of general with that idea because in the end we do he does notice that she has also been scarred and therefore is uh more human it does kind of uh wrap around too when it comes to how our main character is running down the hallway with a shotgun um because in one of the flashbacks we do see that she holds a shotgun up to her uncle um after after the first time that she was sexually abused went down um now she doesn't pull the trigger but when it comes back around and full comes full circle and she has the shotgun this time, once again, it's kind of like a Chekhov's gun kind of a thing where she was, it was introduced here. So it's bringing it back around and she is given the chance to uh, use that once again. This time she actually does. She does pull the trigger. Um, so I think what's going on here is she's fine. I think she's fine being a very strong willed person because it does show that 
she is smarter than smarter than the other two girls that are with her. And as per usual, Shyamalan always talks about either some like quasi religious element in most of his movies. This time, he doesn't seem to be bringing any sort of Christianity or Hinduism or any kind of weird creation myths at all. If anything, this is his whack at evolution, probably trying to introduce some sort of evolution element into these characters. And if I'm not mistaken, James McAvoy's character does call that out at the end of the film and say the broken are the more evolved. And yeah, he has evolved literally on a physical scale, but it's also, as we're saying, like these, uh, these damaged people are more evolved because they are able to survive, I guess, a lot better. And also speaking of evolution, it's also ties into that whole survival of the fittest. Clearly Casey is the fittest, not physically speaking, but at least psychologically. And she's able to play the game. Uh, whereas the other girls aren't able to figure that out and play along. The only reason she knows how to play along is because she's had to deal that deal with that with her uncle through all of these years. So I don't know. He's not really making any strong Darwinian statements here, but clearly he is using evolution on some really small scale as kind of a catalyst for how these character arcs develop. Right, yeah, I can see where some of that could be brought into light where it seems like Shyamalan is, yeah, dipping into some kind of uh, evolution kind of ideal. Although I don't think he goes necessarily too deep with it. Um, no. Yeah, it is something that I could see uh, one finding in this movie. Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Split? And I got to say, I'm pretty curious to know your rating. <laughs> <laughs> so... Split is a very interesting movie to me because it's, I would consider it better than The Visit. And I think the reason why is because I think that Shaman has a lot more to say with this. The Visit is, to me, didn't really have a lot in terms of messages in it. Um, this is definitely more of a return to form for Shyamalan than what we've seen in the last few movies. And it's in some ways very refreshing to see Shyamalan kind of return back to what he's done before. However, I do think that this movie still suffers from a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of balance issues and things of that nature, because I don't think that the main character, the characters here in this movie really anywhere are very well developed, especially from our main two characters. Um, I would have loved to have had a lot more depth with them. I'm also disappointed by by the psychological angle with this movie. Um, I would have liked it to be grounded a bit more like it seems to want to do, but doesn't it also I think it also is balanced. It has a balancing issue between trying to be realistic and also trying to be entertaining. That all to say, I still do enjoy this movie. I think it's a very fine film, but I think that Shaman still has some way to go before he returns to where I guess where he was before. So at the end of the day, I would still recommend this. I think it's a fine film. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10, a, a very uh, solid recommend. Well, I did agree with some of your uh, criticisms. I guess they weren't as much of a factor for me while watching this film or criticize or like being critical of this film, because I more so saw this film as just a very suspenseful thriller that didn't have a lot of time to 
get very far into each of these characters' backstories. But I think what time Shyamalan had between balancing thrills and suspense and then also investing us in these characters, I'd say he did a pretty good job. And I, I like how he really kind of played with the question of who really is our main character here, because although James McAvoy gets top billing and is face on all the posters, the film opens up with Casey and her abduction. And we really follow more so her arc than McAvoy's arc, even though the film does end with McAvoy. So I like how it really brings that up. And ultimately, I would say this is probably more so Casey's movie than uh, McAvoy's movie. But I got to say Shyamalan is officially back. Split is a tour de force in suspense and thrills. From the moment the girls are abducted in the beginning to Casey's harrowing escape and the dark realization the beast is real, and of course that this is actually a secret sequel to Unbreakable, a Shyamalan film hasn't hooked me like this since The Sixth Sense. I will say in terms of filmmaking, The Sixth Sense is a slightly higher caliber, but nonetheless Split is a more refined film which does a better job at building suspense and truly investing us in its characters and their outcome. Now, refined as in, I would say it's a bit more honed in its uh, clear direction, whereas The Sixth Sense was set up as a surprise to begin with. But much like The Silence of the Lambs and Prisoners, this grim thriller is hard to watch and not one to return to often. That being said, because of the way this film made me feel and how Shyamalan really masterfully brings his characters and moves them in and out of the script, I might shock some of you listeners, but I really did love this movie. For me, Split receives nine stars out of 10 with a strong recommendation. Oh, interesting. I got to say, of all the times I've seen this movie, it's I, I haven't been able to drop that nine star rating just because of, I would probably say, as I've said there in my description, probably the thrills and suspense and how invested we are in these characters. I'd say this is probably one of the best thrillers I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Well, there is an alternate ending. What? There is. Uh, okay, so it's very, very short. And so when I rented this and watched it on Amazon, the, the very before the movie even began, it's just like, hey, stay after the credits to see an alternate Ooh. ending. And I was like, okay, interesting. And so I watched it. It's nothing crazy. Um, however, so the scene is... Uh, James McAvoy is sitting on top of uh, a building and watching, I think it's, I want to say middle school or high school kids kind of leaving school and going into the buses, right? Mm -hmm. So he's just kind of sitting there watching them. And there's two lines that are said uh, while he's sitting up there. And the lines are, I think one's from Patricia and one's from Dennis. Um, no, sorry, it's all from Patricia. Where the lines are, look at all those unbroken souls, such a waste. And then it fades to black. Uh it's someone wanted to put this in the movie, but ended up having to scrap it because he couldn't really find a good place for it. And instead, he opted for the ending that we get with uh, Kevin in front of those mirrors and having back and forth conversation with the different personalities. That was ending he ended up going back and reshooting. Um, but mm. this was the original ending that he had planned, but he just couldn't fit it in. He didn't feel like it fit very well with the rest of the endings. 
yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied with the ending that we get. And I would probably say more so than anything as to why I'm giving this film a nine stars is just because of McAvoy's performance is so top rate. Oh, yeah. That he, I would say he really makes the movie. And also Shyamalan's script is a good script. It's a great script in many respects. But the way Shyamalan, I mean, the way McAvoy brings it to life he really makes this movie incredible and superb for me. Oh yeah, he is definitely the face of Split. I, I don't think you can go too far without saying, without connecting James McAvoy with Split. They, that's the thing that once again, I've heard essentially everything about, but not much about everything else in this movie is James McAvoy's character and his performance. I did. I do find it interesting though, because um, you gave it a seven, I gave it a nine. Our friends over at Now Playing also had very varying different opinions because Arnie gave it a four. Whoa. That's interesting. So he didn't like it. I'm checking all of these ratings from Letterboxd. Um, You can follow me on Letterboxd. Alan does have his rating on Letterboxd, even though he sadly doesn't use it anymore. Hashtag get Alan back on Letterboxd. (laughs) What is um, my rating? I'm actually Jacob, really curious to know what my rating is on Letterboxd. I forget what I put. Uh, it, you put a seven. Oh, okay. Start right then. Yeah. So, but it's funny because we both rated it at the same time when we watched it uh, February of last year. <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but yeah, Arnie gave it. Uh, it gave it a four. Jacob gave it a six, and Brock gave it an eight. Hmm, interesting. So among us uh, podcast movie review critics, our thoughts are similar, but still very, but still varied, except Arnie apparently really doesn't like this movie. And I believe they do have a a podcast over this film. Theirs is a paid one, though. You have to pay for it. Gotcha. But I'd be I'd pay for it because I'm really interested to see what those thoughts are, because they're they're very different. Yeah, that seems quite interesting to have one of them be a four and the other one be relatively high especially brock's score i would i would love to hear that conversation and see what arnie's counter arguments are to uh especially brock because i'm because i know that he has the highest rating <laughs> yeah i know I, i'm i'm really curious to know what possibly could have made arnie give this film uh for yeah. ouch clearly not his favorite yeah. though but this is not the end of Shyamalan, nor is this the end of split every most movies do a trilogy, so Shyamalan wanted to round this out with a trilogy, and the first one, Unbreakable, dealt with Willis. The second one dealt with a brand new character, uh, Split, and now the third character, Glass, is going to come back around. And I have seen this movie once earlier this year, but I'm excited to re-watch it, especially with the SSG goggles mm-hmm. on and hear Alan's thoughts as well. Yes, from what I have heard, I then i haven't heard much which is automatically a little bit alarming to me um because usually i hear some bustle about about movies and if i don't hear much then that usually means that it either wasn't all that great or is relatively mediocre we'll see how what happens i have i only think i i don't know much about this movie other than that it has mr glass bruce willis and James McAvoy being the main three characters. So other than that, I don't know what I'm getting into, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where what Shyamalan can do now that he has built up to this movie and has two sequels behind it to prepare for this, uh, this, this big movie now. Well, the only thing that I'll say is that Shyamalan goes for a third 
genre style for this film. I, I would say Unbreakable is a drama, Split is a thriller, and Glass is more so action heavy. Gotcha. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on our review of Split. Make sure to join us after the show. The question after the show is, uh, which is better? Split or Unbreakable? And is this your favorite Shyamalan film? Because of as of right now, this is my favorite Shyamalan film, but we're curious to know what you think, so make sure to comment that below. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. Listeners, we will see you next week with Glass. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Oh my goodness, this opening sentence is horrible. Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And she really wants to help him. So it's interesting to see. um, Go away, Siri. It's interesting to see.